welcome to this edition of The Right Angle with me, Mark Heslop. My guest today is Jamie Frost, the winner of the Global Teacher Prize COVID Hero Award. And in this episode, we'll be talking about his background, how he set up Dr. Frost Maths and his future developments. So whatever you're doing, sit back, relax and enjoy. Thanks for joining us, Jamie, today. And uh, can you share with us your favourite memory from school days? Well, it's actually not a maths one. It's a, a kind of musical memory. But I was um, very lucky to be given the opportunity to uh, play a piano concerto with wow. with the um, the school orchestra. Um, and and there was just basically a piece I particularly liked. And I played it to like a recording of it to the sort of head of music. And he said, "Oh, I really love that. Shall we do it?" And then and that was it. And um, in fact, I practiced so much over those sort of three months I was learning it that um, I'd actually completely worn down the tips of my fingers and the doctor told me like you look you have to cut down on practicing so um but that was just glorious um it's uh, i'd love to have more opportunities like that again so um how many people did you play for oh it was just um it was all the parents and such it came it was like a for kind of school performance but maybe how many people in the audience i don't know 500 and how old were you at the time uh, I was uh, 17. Wow. 17 there, is a, there is a recording which exists somewhere of it. Well, we'll have to see if we can get that and tag it onto the podcast. <laughs> so um, what grade do you play at? Uh, I got to grade eight. Um, when did I get my grade eight? I think it was when I was 15 years old. Right. And these days you've got your own grand piano in your house. I do. So I got it three years ago and it's my uh, pride and joy. <laughs> do, you get, do you get to play it very often because you are a busy man? um more casually and to be honest like I, I got the piano to sort of um force myself to sort of learn new pieces and such and it kind of failed because I probably play less than I do since I got uh, the piano but um uh it, it's still it's it's a kind of bit of an escape for me because I obviously work long hours and um just for me to to spend like 15 minutes or whatever just being able to play a few pieces and kind of improvise and such it's it's quite a, a kind of release for me super so What's your background, really, you know, in terms of how you got to where you are in terms of your education? So you came up through school. Which school did you go to? Uh, well, I originally went to um, Southborough High School. So that's just a, a bog standard comprehensive. Um, and then I went to, well, I, I, did, I tried for 11 plus and I, I didn't get into uh, uh, the grammar school I wanted to go to. And then I, I changed to uh, Tiffin School for sixth form, uh, which is incidentally where I, I teach now. Um, and then after that, I did a computer science degree uh, at Oxford. I was at Worcester College. Um, and um, well, what's the, what's the uh, what's it like after that? I then spent a year working for an investment bank, Morgan Stanley, right. uh, where I spent a bit of time in New York, which it was which was very exciting. Um, decided I hated it, and then um, <laughs> did my PhD for three and a half years. And, and your then PhD was in. It was in. It's an area called computational linguistics. It's how we can. can take um, different aspects of sort of natural language, how we understand human languages, mm -hmm. and come up with algorithms and sort of math to be able to deal with them. It might be, for example, translating from one language to another. So that's a massive yeah. area called machine translation. Um, it might be now to, might be trying to assimilate the grammatical structure of a, um, a particular language, only using example sentences. So there's quite a crossover with an area called machine learning, which itself is a sort of sub-branch of artificial intelligence. So machine learning is how we can uh, learn from data uh, with as little human input as possible, whether it's examples of um, like valid sentences and such. Um, but um, 
it, it was a fascinating area and I got to work with some engineers on um, a, a robot and, and got to go to Germany quite a lot as well, which is quite nice. Fantastic. And um, yeah, it was called the Europa robot. And then, so when did you do your teacher training? Um, I did, so I did that the year after. So it was actually with Tiffin. I did what's now called School Direct. It was called the GTP, a yeah. graduate teacher program at the time. And I, I think that was most suited for me because I had a, quite a lot of teaching experience at university. Obviously, that's completely different to mm-hmm. uh, school teaching. But at least, I don't know, had some kind of basis to go on. Um, and for me to have my own classes, in fact, the, the first week they purposely didn't observe me at all the first week so I could sort of establish myself in my classes and um, for me um, that that was probably the best thing kind of um, baptism by fire really and being thrown in the deep end Um, and I sort of felt like I learned to teach quite quickly that way Um, and I loved it and um, then um, yeah the school the school actually didn't have a vacancy but um, I um, applied for another job but then I was phoned up that weekend by the head teacher Tiffin saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll like to offer you a job. And uh, and that was it. So I, I've been working for Tiffin School ever since. Right. This is my ninth year of teaching now, if you include my training year. And were some of your your own teachers still at the school in the maths department when you were teaching, uh, teaching there as well? Oh, yes. In fact, one of my colleagues, um, yeah, Mr. O'Connell, uh, he taught me uh, when I was in the sixth form there. And um, he's still there. And he, he's, well, he's, He's married to the, the head of classics and um, who's now actually a deputy head and uh, well, he's never going to leave. So he's like, there's kind of like the O'Connell clan. So his, his sister um, also works at the school. Like it's, there's, they used, there's three O'Connells at the school, which can get quite confusing. Two of the same initials. So uh. it, it must be nice to, to be able to give something back to us, to the school that, that you studied at. Yeah, no, no. I, um, and it's 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 very strange. It was strange initially being back, but you come back in a very different capacity. So, mm-hmm. um, and there was because I'd been gone for exactly seven years. That's like one full cohort of students. So there was yep. no overlap. Um, the year seven, the people who'd been year seven when I left um, would have just left. So um, there was no overlap, thankfully. Super. So on to kind of teaching, really. So last year, 2020 comes around, Global Teacher Prize for COVID Hero. Congratulations. Thank you. So, how how did you feel about that when you were when you when you heard you were first nominated for it? Um, yeah, it was it, it was it was really um, I've just pleased really. It was um, it was actually the first, weirdly strangely that the first award thing where you actually have to nominate yourself in a way, right? Um, whereas others like people nominate you. So, um, and I thought, well, because someone it was actually I was prompted by a, a teacher at another school I've never met. Mm-hmm. Um, a school in the Midlands, I think. And um, she said, um, oh, there's this kind of million dollar prize. Um, and I really think you should uh, apply. And then I sort of looked at it, oh, wow, a million dollars. That would be quite <laughs> nice in terms of funding for Dr. Ross Mass. And I thought, why not? So I did, um, and it, it sort of happened. And although I didn't win the whole thing, um, they sort of created this extra prize. Like, um, we, it, it wasn't initially advertised. So this is quite late on the process. They yeah. decided to, to create this. And they did have a, a separate judging process for it um uh, the called the covid hero award yeah. and um it came attached with um dollars, which is quite nice i just i just got the first half of it yesterday so Fantastic. um <laughs> <laughs> um yeah dr ross math really needed that money so um it's yeah it's great um and and that was it and the the press attention in particular was just really bizarre like i was been on bbc like five times like itv news channel I've been the times three times within a month. Wow. Um, 
just like pretty much every broadsheet. So um, Daily Mail twice. <laughs> so um, and I'm kind of glad it's over in a way. Right. That now. So I get that odd little thing, but um, uh, it was it was quite exhausting to be honest that that month. In terms of doing interviews and and yeah, and doing interviews and such, and and just quite yeah, very time consuming. Yep. Fantastic. Well, congratulations again on that one. So just to move on to about the history of Dr. Frost Maths, how did you set that? Where did you get the idea from on that one? Well, initially it was, I actually registered the domain name drfrostmaths.com in um, August 2012, which yep. was the month before I started the teacher training. Um, and I initially had a plan um, to, as a sort of, almost like, it's almost like a bit like TES, where that where teachers could sort of post their own resources and such, and it would be kind of categorized by topic and whatnot, but all sorts of extra stuff like um, being able to sort of like build an interactive lesson where you could have mm -hmm. sort of slides, but have little parts of it where someone could input an answer and then it sort of marks it or input a video and stuff. And I noticed actually Desmos have um, got some new features to do that with that, yeah. where you can have slides and some of those can be interactive. Uh, and I realized, I soon realized that, it was going to be far too much work and it was too much sort of effort to sort of make these kind of interactive lessons. So I kind of abandoned that and instead had a sort of teaching blog um, where I would just post my own resources um, that I'd used. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I soon realized that people cared more about the resources I was making than what I had to say about teaching. So <laughs> um, I sort of abandoned the blog uh, fairly soon on and just had it as a kind of like library of the resources I made. Yep. Um, and um they they seem start to become moderately popular, particularly actually when I started posting them on the TS website, and then a lot more people noticed them, I think, uh, and the download count sort of started to rack up. Uh, and it was um, only about I think five years ago now that um, I sort of had the idea of a sort of online platform for question answering. And it's yeah. the the concept itself in in the most general form is not particularly a novel one. There's there's many sites that do it. Um, and you've got Khan Academy in the US, for example. But um, you find a lot of these different platforms have their own different take on it and their own different sort of novel ideas. Um, so that was kind of prompted by a departmental meeting where we were discussing like what we did in my school, which is a selective school, what we were doing for the sort of um, the lowest attaining students. And we sort of thought, oh, maybe we're not doing quite enough. Um, and that's sort of what prompted me to sort of develop this system so I could use it with my um, my bottom set uh, year 10s and 11s um, and um, it's all stemmed from there so I managed to apply for um, uh, some funding from the mayor of London's office to kind of right. get me started and sort of help get other people on board and, and sort of adding questions to the database and such um, and it went from there um, and it is really I think the last year particularly since the start of the first lockdown where it's yeah. It's really quite taken off, uh, particularly January. Like I've had like almost a fifty percent increase in traffic just since January oh, um, this, this year. year. Just Blimey. just since this year, that that's the kind of extent of growth we're looking at. Yeah. So it's been quite a journey. Um, <laughs> What's been and, the most um, difficult bit of it? The most difficult bit. Of it. Yeah. Um, so in what sense? From a technical. In, in term, yeah, in terms of getting it set up, what what's the most been the most challenging headache for you? Oh well, the. The, the most probably the most advanced bit of code on my site um and this is far more difficult than anything i did during my phd is sort of getting algebraic equivalence right so and that's not really something that i don't think any kind of widely used system has been able to solve that effectively yet um 
But if you've got um, a mark scheme where it says this answer or equivalent, uh, and you have to accept every, sing every single possible variation, there could be infinitely many variations of an answer, yeah. um, then it's sort of being able to deconstruct that algebraic expression. It gets even more difficult when you have equivalent equations. That that's quite a difficult problem. Um, and it's actually a well-known uh, NP-hard problem. This is a term we have in computing for um, it's to do with the kind of complexity of the problem. So it kind of takes exponential time based on the, right. the size of the problem. And um, it's a well-known NP-hard problem, uh, algebraic equivalence. And I've actually managed to come up with a, a constant time uh, solution, which uh, makes certain um, assumptions uh, for an educational setting, which are quite justified. But um, it's um, it works remarkably well, actually. And it, it's well, it has to deal with millions of um, algebraic inputs a day, and, yeah. and it holds pretty well. Um, so that's probably my sort of proudest little bit of code on uh, Dr. Ross Maths, I think. Is that, is it, would you say that's your most satisfying bit of code, or is there something else in the background that people don't see that you find particularly oh, satisfying? That, I, I think that's most satisfying, because it, it's an extremely difficult problem, which required um, a lot of thought and a lot of code, um, and so, I had to think so much about the sort of math behind how this works. And um, uh, it was, yeah, as you say, the, the most satisfying part, I think. Good. So first lockdown happened last year in March, and then things really started to take off for a few. Um, what was the impact of lockdown on kind of the development of the features that, that you've got on there? Because we started to see every single week you tweeting about something new, some alternative, some little tweak. Well, I was actually, um, yeah, I actually did a massive overhaul so of, of, of the whole interface. So mm. the whole like user interface, what people see on the front end, that was completely replaced. Um, it, I, called, I, I called it sort of phase three of Dotros Mass. It was DFM 3.0, I called it. <laughs> um, so literally replacing everything, like the dashboard was replaced, like the whole question answering system was replaced and sort of blended with the sort of whiteboard uh, software that I developed so that students could show working. Um, there was like the, the key skill system, which I'll talk a bit about later. Mm -hmm. um, that was something new that start, I started developing as the first lockdown hit. Um, but also just dealing with the traffic, like the code wasn't really optimized for large numbers of users. Mm -hmm. um, and when suddenly my traffic doubled, like within the space of two days, the lockdown hit. Um, I realized that I just had to urgently sort of recode everything, optimize the database, the code, et cetera. Um, and I, I moved servers as well. So yeah. I moved to uh, Amazon Web Services. Um, and um, literally, I, I wrote like millions of lines of code within the space of a few months. And uh, it, was a, it was a lot of work, to say the least. Do you ever actually sleep? Uh, well, <laughs> I've managed to. <laughs> I, I, I probably get five hours of sleep a night and I, I survived moderately okay on that actually <laughs> <laughs> so kind of moving on to kind of um a little bit about your own experiences of lockdown teaching and remote teaching you know what advice would you give to people from what you've learned about that will make your people's lives easier separate from dr frost maths you get um, lessons I, learned? I think um it's sort of related to Dr. Ross but in general, more about technologies. The idea that actually we can replicate a lot of the sort of normal aspects of our teaching in a kind of remote setting. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some little kind of little tiny things like, um, I don't know, asking for a, a show of hands in class. Yep. Well, we can replicate now with a virtual show of hands. And yep. um, 
instead of using a sort of uh, whiteboard pen on a board with maybe to accompany some slides you have, you can use uh, PowerPoint facility to write over slides. And um, in terms of assessment for learning, um, there's, okay, you can't sort of wander around the class, but I can still use my own software on Dr. Ross Maths to get like a live update of where students are in the task, which in some ways works actually better than me wandering around the class. Um, I, and although things take a bit longer with virtual teaching, because like writing with my mouse to annotate the slides takes a lot longer than being able to write on a whiteboard. Um, and there's certain aspects which I find hard in terms of like, because the students will keep their cameras off nowadays. It's it's harder to, you can't read students' facial expression if they don't get something. And you have to make more of a, a proactive effort to mm. sort of see where students are and, and assess their learning. I think the assessment of the learning thing is the, the hardest. But um, at the same time, I, I kind of feel like actually uh, with the lockdown and, and, and all of us having to try and get used to sort of different um, piece of technology available, it, it's surprising how many aspects of, of our normal teacher we can actually emulate quite well I think yeah yeah so looking forward for a second to kind of the future of Dr Frost Maths you've mentioned that you're converting over to be a charity so yeah what's kind of the logic behind that how does that help you in the future um I think it's just because I've, I've never I've never charged for Dr Frost Maths it makes some income from from adverts and I and I hate adverts I really I'd, I'd rather not have them if I can mm -hmm. um and I think because of this philosophy that um my resources and and sort of the functionality of the site should be free to everyone regardless of their income or the school's income yeah. um and for it to be I'd rather it much be widespread as possible rather than for me to make a lot of money um I think converting to a charity is a sort of logical step that sort of enshrines that for posterity um and um, it, it helps me grow to a great extent because I can then sort of attract funding. Um, and I have to be slightly careful what I say here, but there, there are several exciting conversations taking place at the moment okay. about potential funding. Well, um, we'll look forward to hearing about <laughs> yeah. them in the future. <laughs> Potentially very large funding. Um, we'll see. Um, <laughs> and uh, being a, a sort of charity allows me to sort of attract that funding. Yeah. Um, and it also, I think it just a, a sort of greater degree of trust because so although my although I'm free, there's sort of this degree of suspicion that I might suddenly charge or whatever. Right. And and being a charity, then people people actually think, yeah, this is this is the real deal. Mm -hmm. um, it is actually free, um, and there's sort of a greater degree of trust there. So, um, so yeah. what's been the most difficult part of converting over to a charity? Is it is, is it quite an onerous process, or have you found it quite straightforward? Well, it, it was finding trustees initially. So. Mm -hmm. um, I um, it, it's I'm quite lucky to have a moderately good network. So I managed to get the head of Google Europe uh, slash Africa to sort of tweet about um, some advert I had for finding trustees. Um, and that allowed me to get the um, the person who created Compare the Market, which is quite good. We, we, our nickname from is Meerkat Man. And um, <laughs> and he, he's basically the CTO of BGL Group, which is um, wow. they own um, Compare the Market. But he was the sort of technical mastermind behind it. Um, and he's, he's a useful guy to know in terms of his contacts and such and sort of his knowledge of growing a business uh, or a charity in this case. Um, and I've got another guy who's a charity expert. And that actually was via um, the parent of someone in my form group. So okay. um, the parent of some of my form group, she's on um, the uh, she's on the board of some charity 
um, to do with sort of uh, tech and such. And, and she has quite a lot of experience finding people trustees and stuff. Um, and she actually got me in touch with someone who was supposed to give me advice um, on sort of finding trustees. And then actually when he read my little spiel about the kind of site and such, and he has some a, a degree of background in technology, uh, he wants to become a trustee himself. So <laughs> he's really useful because he's he's been on like, um, He's on a variety of NHS trusts. He has loads of experience of running, um, being a trustee on charities and such. So he's our sort of charity governance expert. And then I've got two colleagues as well um, who, who they themselves um, have a lot of experience in business. Like one used to be the head of pay for Booper. So she was the one who decided all the salaries of uh, the, wow. the chief exec and, and the staff at Booper. Uh, and she's a colleague of mine in the maths department. Um, and then we've also got um, uh, Alice Ingle as well, who's the deputy head of the school. He used to be my boss. He used to be the head of maths at Tiffin. Um, and he used to be a management consultant. So we've got a variety of different experiences amongst my trustees. And it was finding those trustees initially that was the, the, the hard part. Um, and then we just had to have some discussions. Uh, we, we've had a few uh, virtual meetings to discuss the constitution and such, uh, which we've now finished. Uh, and in, in fact, one of the trustees is filling out the form this week. Um, the online registration form, which I've, I've seen the form, and it's actually relatively simple um, to set up. You just have to sort of do your paperwork and and sort of have an exact idea of uh, what the objects of your objectives of your charity are, basically, yeah. and how you're going to operate. There's still lots of stuff to iron out in terms of um, staff and um, setting up stuff to kind of for auditing, all, all sorts of things. But um, uh, we'll get through that as it comes. So. Once you've converted over to a charity, where would you like to see Dr. Frost Maths going to in the next five years? Um, so there are a few things I want to do. Um, uh, one of the things is the uh, kind of continuing develop on the key skill system. Now, that's something that's been, I think, the most successful new feature mm -hmm. since it was developed last last April, well, when I started developing it. Um, and um, that was based in response to justify criticism I think that there wasn't enough stuff on Dr. Ross Maths for uh, lower attaining students mm -hmm. and although for example there's plenty of foundation papers from a variety of examples on there um, actually where teachers wanted to give students repetitive practice of very specific types of questions and know right. exactly what they're going to get um, there perhaps wasn't enough of that um, so the key skill system like it procedurally generates questions on very specific question types we have about We've uh, 600, 700 of these so far. Mm -hmm. um, and I've then basically myself filmed um, uh, kind of worked example videos. So I keep these short, so um, less than four minutes while right. I can. Um, and it's sort of continuing development on that. So um, thankfully, it's kind of one of those things where I can delegate a lot of stuff on that. So I, I'm, although I make the videos, the actual kind of individual logic that generates the question, generates the sort of like automated feedback about how to answer that kind of question when when the student answer it um that's actually mostly been done by other other people mm -hmm. um and um so that's something i because that's been such a successful feature of my site i want to really pump a lot of effort into that and um, the other thing is um working like in working with a lot more international examples right um so i think one of the strengths of dr frost mass is the fact that it's very kind of specific curriculum focused. So I've I've got licenses with all the main exam boards, um, uh, particularly in England, but increasingly in the UK as well. And um, it means I'm allowed to uh, use the backlog of questions, and then sort yep. of teachers can use specific questions or whatever um, for for 
that they can then set to the students uh, or, or producers of Wurchie or whether. Um, and um, although a lot of British international schools overseas use Dr. Frost's mouse, um, I find there's not so many non-British schools overseas that use it okay. because it's not yet specialised enough for their particular syllabi that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the money I'll be using as a charity is to have sort of uh, question database managers in different countries. So mm-hmm. there'll be like a Scotland one, there'll be an England one, there'll be a sort of Brazil one, there'll be a, um, a Malaysia one, etc., Australia one. Um, and these will be people who work with the exam boards in that particular country, um, get the appropriate licenses and then add their past papers to my system in terms of each individual right. question so that students can answer them on my platform. So that's a particular area of growth that we're focusing on, that kind of international growth by catering for specific countries' um, syllabi. And are you looking to expand it to uh, other subjects? Are there any subjects that you see as very parallel to maths that you can easily apply this to? Or does it become trickier when you spread it outside of maths? Well, that's a very good question. So, in fact, I, I am the owner of DrRossPhysics.com, DrRossChemistry.com, DrRossBiology.com and DrRossCS.com. Um, and what people don't realise is actually a very extensive computer science pla- sub-platform yeah. on my site. Um, and I've got slides for the whole of the ACR syllabus, for example. And there's some kind of like little coding activities where students get to test code and it says whether it's right or wrong based on different inputs. Um, that's something I'd like to develop a bit more. Um, and that will separate out onto its own separate site. Um, but it's it's a bit more of a challenge, in, as you say, in terms of like online assessment of questions, because even the computer science ones, although they're the questions in my database, um, they can only be used for the purposes of producing a, a sort of printable worksheet. Um, they can't be set to students because yeah. like, the input is too difficult. And that's made me think, oh, for other subjects like physics and, and biology, you can sort of adapt the, the questions to make it like more multiple choicey or spot specific keywords, or it could be a numeric input. But um, any kind of ex- multi-mark explainy question, you just can't do with that kind of medium. So it makes it a lot harder. So that idea is on pause at the moment, yep. um, but it's left there as a kind of a possible future expansion to, to branch out to these other subjects. That, that sounds like your next big coding challenge. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it's just a content that because I, I can't produce physics content. So I I would like to have people who would um, make Dr. Frost slides for like physics, for example, yeah. um, and then sort of make uh, videos for each topic and then sort of try and add what exam questions they can and sort of have the same kind of experience as, as Dr. Frost maths with yeah. other subjects. But it's we'll, we'll have to think through how the best way to achieve that is because it's not quite as easy as with mathematics, I think. Yeah, and, and you, I take it then you're kind of looking to expand the team because you've been quite a small team, which has allowed you to be very nimble. But I take it you're looking to expand the team further. Yeah, so at the moment, it's mostly um, it's mostly two of us who work on the site. So I do uh, most of the coding uh, and the resources and videos and such. And then you've got um, Gaten Dupont-Panon, uh, who's, a, who's a full-time teacher himself as well. Um, and he sort of manages the question database. And actually, he's done a lot of the key skills coding. Mm-hmm. I'd only discovered he was a coder like last year. Um, <laughs> and he sort of actually learned a lot of stuff himself, like to, to be able to do this. Um, and he's, he's just fantastic. I don't know what I'd do without him, really. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been mostly a two-man team and also actually a former student of mine uh, who, uh, when I was a, um, a PhD, he was an undergraduate student doing my course I was helping with um, and he is the sort of the server admin I mean actually I'm sort of contracting out some work to him to sort of overhaul my coding base because uh, he's a sort of 
professional programmer of, of many years. Um, and um, although my code is moderately clever, um, it's also coded as someone as like who's the only person who's actually working that code base. And they only have one person working the code base. It's often not very human readable or particularly conducive to multiple people working on it. So he's basically trying to bring it up to modern standards. And right. um, he's basically rehauling, overhauling it or without actually changing what, what users see. Okay, okay. Um, are there any features that you've, you've kind of spent a lot of time on that you were surprised that weren't as popular as you wanted them to be on Dr. Frost Maths, really? Or was there anything that surprised that... you that was far more popular than you thought it would be? Yeah, I think the two things were, um, which now are popular, um, uh, the whiteboard and the Dr. Ross Live game. I actually did a bit of uh, minor market research um, like um, a year back, um, not long before lockdown, actually, to discover like what features are people using and what they're not use. Yeah. And by far the least used thing was the whiteboard, yeah. the, the virtual whiteboard. And I suppose like before lockdown, like people had less of a use for it. Um, and, and that's something I've, I've put a lot of effort in. So um, part of it is just making the software a lot better and more uh, more bells and whistles in terms of teachers being able to use it in class effectively. Um, but, um, and, and sort of like then being able to, for example, interface with the rest of Dr. Ross platform. Like for example, you can import any exam question that in this database of like 40, 50,000 questions yep. um, and then students can annotate it over and sort of adding that feature or the ability to select a past paper so you can then flick through the questions in it and they appear on student screens one by one, that kind of stuff. Um, so I've been developing like the, that sort of main functionality, but also making it um, a lot more sort of intrinsic to the rest of the site. So uh, one of the big features of DFM 3.0 was um, the ability for students to show working. So when they answer a question, there's a little mini side whiteboard they can use for working. And teachers can actually require working. Uh, we've used that before in, in sort of formal assessments where um, it's an exam question. And now um, my site is not clever enough to work out if it's a free mark question, um, like partial marks, like, yeah. well, how would you? Um, but so, because at the moment, if they get it right, they get free marks, if they get it wrong, they get zero marks. But a teacher can then look at their working later and say, oh, actually, they probably deserve one or two marks for that and then sort of override the mark in that to give them partial marks. Um, and that's sort of like a really sort of novel feature, I think, for my site that I haven't really seen any other platforms do. Um, but that then sort of uses that whiteboard in other parts of the site. Um, and now it's it's ridiculously well used. In fact, we had to kind of um, up the limits on it because there was like more than a thousand people using the whiteboard at once. And it was the same with the live game as well, well, so um, I have to be careful what I say. Um, am I allowed to say it's a bit like Kahoot? <laughs> like, they don't see me. I think we yeah, could um, probably get away with that. <laughs> but it's imagine a, a sort of version of Kahoot where um, rather than a sort of multiple choice, it's um, uh, it, it sort of uses the bank of questions from my data, database of exam questions or the key skill system as well. Um, and it's not necessarily multiple choice. They actually have to input sort of proper answers into it. Um, and um, schools have loved this during lockdown and lots of people just didn't know of its existence. And those who did, like it's sort of like the site's probably best held secret yeah. um, because students like have so much fun on it. And like if you sort of look at my Twitter feed, like most of the retweets are sort of people saying, how did I not know about the, the, the DFM <laughs> live game? And, and students love it. There's even like a video of uh, a teacher playing a bunch of different games in a class and getting very, ex like the teacher herself getting very uh, slightly overexcited about it. Um, <laughs> And um, no, I think I think 
in terms of like my proudest feature of the site, it's probably that because um, it's a way that students, it, it's, it's, there's no, it's not gimmicky. Students are yeah. still having to do maths on it, but it's done in a way that they find really fun. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I think we're enjoying it. Enjoy and achieve is my philosophy to maths, really. It's like one of the tenets of, like, you know, the um, every child matters. Yep. Um, and um, if you can combine both, I think then that's sort of the recipe for success, really. If, if you were to go back five years, would you ever think it would, it would be today where it was, what you thought it would be five years ago? Uh, no, I, ne I never imagined that I'd be getting, like, like four million hits a day. It's just, <laughs> um, it's, um, it's crazy and just... Um, or even just thinking that that I, I might have to be going part time next year to to, to yeah. spend kind of more time on the site. That uh, I never thought that uh, my my sort of career plan early on was not to sort of come up with like a sort of online platform that everyone was using, but to sort of uh, make my way up the sort of teaching career ladder and yeah. sort of eventually become sort of head of maths. And um, in fact, when that opportunity came up, I, I passed at that. I'm, I'm definitely head of maths, but. Um, that's the sort of limit of what I want to do now in terms of because um, if I had any more responsibility, then I wouldn't be able to kind of spend the kind of time I do on Dr. Ross Mass. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my kind of aims as a, a sort of teacher, uh, as a sort of educational professional has, have changed um, since I started teaching. And rather than sort of working my way up the teacher ladder, it's more now how can I sort of help as other schools um, with, with, with my platform, really. Has Dr. Frost Mass changed you more than you thought it would? Um, I think it's, um, just the kind of experience of like looking at literally tens of thousands of exam questions and, and sort of, uh, partly just having to sort of classify them by the exact topic. Um, and then I've been, for example, producing resources like the full coverage worksheet, which yeah. have been very popular that, um, I kind of feel like it's given me a slight encyclopedic knowledge of exam questions. Yeah. Um, and I feel that's probably improve my teaching to, to some extent um like and also just sort of being able to see students answers like a better knowledge of kind of what students struggle with and yeah. um what 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 they find easier than other things um and the types of questions they find easier i think it's it's helped um me develop as a teacher in that respect well, it's been great having you here for this episode. Thank you, Jamie. If you, you've mentioned the the live game and the whiteboard, if you were to advise people to go and look at one feature tomorrow in five minutes, what would it be? Is there anything uh, you advise okay, them to think about? things. Explore the key skill system because I think it's incredibly powerful. Um, and they're like in terms of um, uh, getting students to like you can set, for example, an accuracy criteria on it. So um, on Two particular, let's say you selected two different types of questions, like, I don't know, two different flavors of trigonometry question. You could say, oh, they need to get four out of the last five right until they can progress on. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so you can sort of have these sort of um, tailored differentiated tasks to students yeah. where you can be absolutely sure that they, they've they got the topic if they've completed the task because they have to achieve a particular accuracy. And if they don't get it, then they get all sorts of help because of the exact explanation of how to do the question once they've input their answer. They've got that short worked example video of me teaching it. Like the students are really well supported. I think that's probably the best feature, the single best feature of the site. Um, but also just to like live monitoring of tasks, like any task you set, whether it's like exam questions that you've chosen or the key, a key skills task, um, 
it, you can actually during a lesson, if it's like a, a, um, a virtual live lesson, monitor them doing the task as the results come in. You don't have to wait for them to finish it. Um, you get like a grid of sort of like red and uh, green um, to see how they're doing. Like, and you can just refresh that during uh, the lesson um, to get sort of a live update of, of results. And I, I kind of feel like that's a particularly helpful feature for lockdown learning. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Um, I hope everyone at home has enjoyed listening to this and we will see you again for the next episode. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you very much. Thank you.